0: Hello, and welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is sponsored by Pearson Instruments. That's Brad Pearson. He's in the Marpole neighborhood. That's South Van. He's a luthier and guitar tech, and he sets up all my instruments. So I've taken my electric bass, my guitars, and my upright bass to and he's done a fabulous job every time. You should take your string instruments to Brad, too, to get them sounding and feeling great. Learn more about what he does at pearsoninstruments.ca. That's pearsoninstruments.ca. Thanks so much to Brad for supporting this podcast.
1: I'm the type of person who just, I would love to be able to edit my own albums. Like, I see no reason why I shouldn't learn Pro Tools, like, why I shouldn't just edit them, you know? So that's kind of my personality. Like, if there's something to be learned, I want to learn how to do it.
0: All right, happy February. I hope those of you who attended Jazz at the Bolt had an awesome time. I wanna say a quick thanks to everyone who attended my two recent gigs, one at Tyrant Studios and one at the Vault Cafe in Nanaimo. Had a great time with the trio. This episode is a special one because it's the first time that our guest is a Juno-winning solo artist. She's a celebrated guitarist who is on tour to BC and we're really lucky to have her in New West. That's up next. Our guest today released her second album, Golden Hour, in 2022 with Will Bonus on piano, Rodney Whitaker on bass, Quincy Davis on drums, and John Gordon on saxophone, plus her own guitar and vocals. It's a ways away right now, but her next local show is on Sunday, May 7th at the Shadbolt. Tickets are available now. She's in the middle of a very extensive tour right now from... When this episode comes out and onward over the next month, she's going to be in the American states of Montana, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Alaska, California, Idaho, Virginia, Maryland, and then on to more after that. But she's here in VC now, and she's generous enough to make time because she's playing in beautiful New Westminster, my hometown. So please welcome to the home studio, Jocelyn Gould.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Will. This is great.
0: You are hitting the road hard. How are you feeling? Mm
1: -hmm. I'm feeling good. Um, I have been on the road for two weeks almost now. Uh, I think 12 days, two weeks on Monday. So yeah.
0: Yeah, so tracing back in my memory, you started in Florida? That's right. Or did you start in your home base of Toronto? Started in Florida, Florida. yeah.
1: Started in Tallahassee, Florida. (laughs) And had one epic day where we went from Miami to Vancouver. <laughs> so that oh, was wow. wild. <laughs> that's about
0: as far as you can fly on the continent of North America. Yeah. yeah great, great way. routing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what brings you to BC is the International Guitar Night event series that happens in different places. And you're doing that with... Three other guitarists, three other contemporaries, right? Itamar Era, Stephanie Jones, and Jesus Guerrero, right? Yes. So that's why you're playing here at the Massey Theater in New West for International Guitar Night. Exactly. Yeah.
1: The whole thing, actually, this yeah. whole run from um, January 16th to March 15th, the whole yeah. two months is, is this
0: show. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a lot of time to feel out like that group of people and what you're going to do and all it's so cool. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really cool, cool experience. Cool, like opportunity for me. We do. um, I mean, it's it's unlike anything I've done before. I'm so used to doing things very much within the traditional jazz world um with you know traditional configurations the way you know i kind of learned to do it so this is a real step for me outside of of what i've done done in the past and it's so far the first two weeks have been so inspiring the four of us um in the states uh itamar is doing the canadian dates but in uh the states a guitarist named ali Sorry, Kelly is... Wow, um, okay, so
0: there's, there's pe- different people coming in. Because it's a long span of time, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ollie just couldn't do the... The,
0: the Canadian ones? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jesus and Stephanie are on all of them. And you. Yeah. The three of you are on all of them doing this whole thing together. Yeah. What's yeah. it like hanging out with this group of people?
1: Oh, it's been so fun so far. We're already like family. It's just being on the road is really cool for extends. Like when you're on the road for long periods of time, you really become a family. You eat together, you, you know, play music together. You cry together. We haven't cried yet, but I know we will by the end. Of the
0: tour.
1: <laughs> um, and it's just, they're, they're phenomenal musicians. It's cool. Traveling with other people on the same instrument as me, um, getting to see them play every night. They're just, virtuosos of their crafts yeah and yeah it's been so much fun lots of laughing um jesus actually doesn't speak english uh just spanish
0: Um, interesting
1: yeah so we have this app where it like translates voice on the spot
0: (laughs) okay so how which way do you deploy i guess both ways right like when you say something to him you speak into the app and then it outputs in spanish and him vice versa right exactly oh, that's so cool exactly. yeah. yeah and
1: he says he speaks no english but actually
0: there's some understanding there <laughs> totally
1: totally he like it's it's um he's much more fluent in english than i am in spanish yeah
0: so yeah itamar is a is a known you know excellent guitar piano player composer in this area had you met him before
1: no, this was my first first time having met him. I've known of him, of course, yeah. but it's been incredible. Man, he's amazing. He's so so incredible. Yeah,
0: and if you heard him play piano too, he can play a mean piano as well. I know,
1: <laughs> I know. Some folks are so talented.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how do you get signed on to something like this? Because this is different than you touring in support of your own album and how that would be organized. And you know, you release Golden Hour independently, and you put out. Uh, elegant Traveler on Positone. I work for Greenleaf, another label, uh, so I know kind of how that world works, and I know about self-releasing, I guess a little bit. But I mean, you you've way, like you've you've had more dates canceled in your career than I've played in total, probably. Oh. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, this is a totally different animal. So like, how does roughly speaking, how did you end up like signing on to this opportunity? What did it look like for you to actually get into this international guitar night thing?
1: yeah so this actually goes back to 2019 um like spring of 2019 i was living in new york city just getting on the scene and really kind of working on my um online platform uh putting lots of videos out getting youtube going kind of trying to get all that going and the creator and kind of um artistic vision for this project uh, for international guitar night, just got in touch with me and had seen my stuff online and said, um, would you, would you like to do the tour? And it was actually supposed to happen in, I was supposed to be on the 2020 run, okay. which of course didn't happen. didn't happen
0: at all. Right. Didn't happen yeah.
1: at all. And then um, they did the run last year, but I got put on this one, um, which works out great. Cause I was actually on the road for the whole amount of time last year as well, just with a different project.
0: Yeah, last year, so that was, I mean, you did your Golden Hour Jazz Fest tour in the summer, right? Is that what it was kind of thing? Because this is happening right now. What were you doing at this time last year?
1: I was just embarking on a seven week tour um, with, organized by IMG, which is like one of the world's kind of premier management um, organizations. It was a tour, a really, really, excellent show um about with three vocalists um as the the kind of featured featuring three vocalists um doing the music of bessie smith nina simone bessie smith billy and nina simone so there were these three vocalists uh venetia gould here clayton and sharnay wade and we were talking about you know the legacy of these vocalists how one couldn't have existed without the other um educating audiences about, you know, the challenges that these women would have undertaken and just their importance in music history.
0: Wow, what a cool project. So you're on there as a guitarist, you know, not a band leader, you're you're doing a, a big tour, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm thinking about what else you've done as a session player or a guitarist. There's some projects that I, I can remember because some of them I've reviewed and some of them are just, like, I know you you played on Katie George's first album, right? Yeah. Uh, no Bounds. Um. I don't know how many tracks, or or I can't remember how much you did. You play on like a couple of tracks. Did you play on the whole record? I can't remember.
1: Yeah, that was a cool one. I had just started um, as the head of guitar at Humber. at Humber. Yeah, so I had just moved from New York to um, Toronto. I literally, I you know, was brand brand new, and this uh, student sent me an email and said, "Hey, I have a school project coming up. Would you play some some guitar on it?" which ended up being Katie, the yeah. Katie that we know now.
0: Yeah, and then you also played on John Gordon's album, Stranger Than Fiction, which I love. Um, and you did some wordless vocals on that too, if I remember. And then you did like wordless vocals on Golden Hour too, so that was fun. And there's overlap between those two bands, right? Because you got the Manitoba connections and stuff.
1: Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a fun one. We were... Well, it was actually a strange one. The title is um, yeah. very appropriate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, it was Deep COVID that we recorded that in right. October 2020.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I, I heard about that in the summer of 2021. Yeah. So you must have, yeah, you must have had an interesting time. So what, wh- what do you mean? What happened? How did it come together? What did you do?
1: Well, none of us had played a gig. None of us had played with other people in since February like
0: oh so you were like breaking the ice or getting the rust off or whatever you'd say that's how you felt
1: yeah and everybody was we were all out of shape it just you know you can sit at home and practice as much as you want but you can't um you can't create artificially create the experience of playing with other people that's a whole skill and so we all felt like really it was it was it felt like it was the first time I was playing with a band, mm-hmm. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> well,
0: it sure doesn't sound like that. You oh. felt out of shape, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty high level project. I I really enjoyed that one.
1: Oh, John's writing is just incredible. And yeah, I was really proud to be on that.
0: Yeah, so what was the actual uh, connection that you had with him from U of M? Like, was he on faculty while you were a student or is, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah,
1: I had finished my undergrad. Um, a few months before he started as faculty. And I decided to go back for a post-baccalaureate degree before I moved to the U.S. to do my master's. And I basically did that so I could study with John just because... Oh, so you knew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, yeah, just really wanted to, to get to learn from him. Uh, we did composition together and yeah i learned so much i wrote some of my best tunes to date while i was studying with him and um would
0: those be elegant traveler tracks or yeah what I wrote, tracks are you thinking
1: i wrote argyle i wrote in a daydream um i wrote oh i wrote one on golden hour that i brought back um uh um I'm spacing on the name right now. It's the second track on the- um, Horizons. Horizons. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote that while I was studying with John. It was kind of a prolific-
0: And that's one that you sing on too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: John actually has been a big kind of supporter of me starting singing more. He's okay. really, he really has, has encouraged it. And Tell kind me more of, about that. Yeah. Well, I grew up singing- as a little kid, I just loved it, sang all the time and started playing guitar actually just by myself so that I could accompany my singing kind of uh, in my bedroom as a angsty teenage yeah. kid. <laughs> and um, I I just, I stopped singing when I started studying guitar formally. I don't know. I think there might have been like a part of me that was like, well, that's what I do like informally Or something I'm not totally sure
0: yeah well I mean maybe it's driven by this feeling that we all still have to reckon with over the years in general which is just like there's so much you want to do but you're just like so aware of the amount of bandwidth that you have and so you're like well what's the thing that I really need to put the most focus on to get better maybe it was something like that I don't know
1: yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think also just having, you know, so many close friends who are just like ridiculous vocalists.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you were friends with Joanna Majoko, right? At U of M? Oh, yeah. So you go way back? Oh, yeah, we yeah. go way
1: back. Yeah, nice. yeah. So I think it also sort of took me some time just to come out of my shell. I think I was just really shy.
0: Yeah. And then when you started studying composition with, john then you then you started to try and write some songs that you would that you plan to sing and you hadn't done that really since you were singing back in your bedroom
1: yeah exactly i i tend to i think my most natural way of composing is just with my guitar and voice trying to sing sing melodies and play guitar um come up with chord progressions that fit the melody and so i came you know the assignment for for john was to compose basically just compose and bring in music and we'll take a look at it and so that's how i went about composing so that's what i brought in and he was like oh you're you know this is he was like you should do this more
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no i i dig it like i really like the cottage for sale too i like i like the way that i like the way you like uh you feel behind yourself or like you call in response to yourself like on the on it, like it sounds like there's another guitarist and you singing, but like you're doing it yourself. I don't even know if it's overdubbed or or live, but it doesn't even matter. Like it just comes across in such a cool way. Oh thank Was it played live? It was. Yeah, it's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it sounds like two people. Oh, thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um it's that track I think is one of my favorite on the album. It just is I don't know, that song is so sad. <laughs> oh. I've been um recently I have I got told by someone who is Gen Z musician that I like, um, oh, what is it? Uh, emo jazz. (laughs) Uh. You know, there's like dad jazz and all these different types of jazz and I'm emo jazz. And that is like bang on. I love just like sad standards.
0: (laughs) Yeah. See, so, yeah, you got Chet Baker, Billie Holiday, maybe Nina Simone, because you mentioned Nina Simone. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Betty Carter. Yep. I don't know what else. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. That's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I dig that too. But for me, it it came more on the instrumental side. I'm i never had the 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 vocal desire myself as a performer but like for me my kind of emo jazz is like bill frizzell and steve swallow like it's the ecm with the black and white covers totally yeah
1: totally that's totally emo jazz you could have ambrose maybe you could classify yeah (laughs) there's i think a whole i think a lot of trumpet players like miles i think could in a lot of senses be emo jazz
0: (laughs) the album quiet kenny
1: I was going to say Kenny. <laughs> I was totally going to say Kenny Dorham.
0: My ideal. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a whole subgenre that going back decades.
0: So wait a second though. You said what what's dad jazz then? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um Eight, a lot of 80s maybe oh, like okay, mike yeah. stern
0: oh, okay <laughs> you know? yeah is um, pat metheny dad jazz? yes he is okay because yeah. he's definitely not emo jazz he sounds very happy yes yeah. yes
1: um I would mike say stern
0: th- is such a good one <laughs>
1: <laughs> i would say even like a lot of fusion like weather report could be dad jazz yeah um uh, my dad has
0: a weather report LP at his place. There you go.
1: Literally dad jazz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you have it.
0: Yeah. I I didn't come from a musical family. You didn't either, right?
1: Um, my dad was a elementary band teacher or oh, like music cool. teacher. Okay, yeah. But he wasn't um and my mom is just like so both my parents played guitar as a hobby. My dad was a piano player but not a performer. Just um he had gone into education. Um but he really left music at work. He didn't really come home. It wasn't like, you know, like oh, yeah. you would think. But my mom who is actually like she's like profoundly untalented but pro like v- very, very soulful, like one of the most soulful people I know. Huh? And so she was always playing guitar and singing. I shouldn't say profoundly untalented. That's so I feel like you can only say that about your own mom.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, But she she like, yeah, didn't have any particular like inherent talent, but just something about playing the guitar and singing. I grew up hearing her do it like she would sing me to sleep every night kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and just, it was a really like healing thing for her, I think. So I think I kind of got got a lot of that from her.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm not giving credit to in some sense because yeah, even though there wasn't any of it that was applied to me if, and like the musical opportunities I got, I kind of enjoyed that it felt like it was my thing and that it didn't come to me through my parents. Like I didn't take piano lessons or violin lessons or anything like that. It came from just where you're going to go play tonight on the night we're recording this from that theater and that band room up at that high school, right? That's kind of where, it, that that's just where I started from a standstill. But my mom uh, did sing and play in, uh, in folk masses in the Catholic church as a teenager, like in the early 70s in Maple Ridge um, in the suburbs here and probably at other similar places, like the young people of that time would sing like the the folk songs and stuff at the at the church and so she did that a little bit and then she had like the the complete Beatles songbook that she sang out of a little bit so she definitely definitely introduced me to some stuff that way too which meant a lot
1: that's cool for me that's like really yeah I didn't I didn't know a single professional professional musician growing up like I just that was not a world that I was same yeah yeah I didn't yeah and I think when you you don't know anyone that you know plays music professionally you don't necessarily think of music even in those terms it's just sort of you're hooked you're hooked because it makes you feel good or you're not hooked (laughs) yeah so yeah
0: yeah I do remember at the high school there the the first time I really like had a lead sheet in front of me and played a jazz tune it was it's such a random tune but i know it's one that is is uh on a milestone album for you because the first group that i had the chance to jam in in my high school band room was um, guitar saxophone trombone bass drums uh and the tune was picked by the guitarist at the time and so the first tune that I ever played, it just so happened, it wasn't one where you're just starting out playing changes in the two feel on the bass, but it started with a guitar bass unison riff, and it was Four on Six Double, by Double. Wes Montgomery. Oh, yeah, I knew exactly. it. I knew it yeah. as soon as you said it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Well, you got yeah. started off on the right foot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, the just listening to like the, the rest of that album, obviously, that's the, that's such a big album, so... A big um, album for you too, yeah. Smoking at the Half yeah. Note or Incredible yeah. Jazz Guitar? Smoking at the Half Note, I'm thinking, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, so, so good. That's the, that's like kind of the holy grail for me.
0: Yeah, and then like you play Willow Weep for me on the album, which I love, so.
1: And I've, you know, I mean, if you've heard the West recording, you know that it's basically my yeah your tribute yeah Yeah. I can't hear I can't unhear the way Wes does it
0: (laughs) well it's pretty sweet that you've got Rodney Whitaker playing bass on that one like he owns that track too
1: oh yeah his his... got the
0: intro he's got the solo sounds like Ray Brown
1: (laughs) it was it's very um his willingness to play with me and even to travel he traveled to Winnipeg for that Um, he's so busy and just his generosity um, means so much to me and it's important to me he's such an important mentor and you know one of the masters and it's been felt really important to me to get some of it on on record and yeah he came to Toronto for my upcoming album too so um, yeah and we were emailing the other day and he was like can't wait for the next one (laughs) so he's been very very generous and it's so cool because i can like listen to my favorite roy hargrove albums i can listen yeah. to you know the art of the tenor and then and then listen to my album and it's the same bass
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it hits yeah it, it hits heavy it's it's really cool when you went into the golden hour cycle at the very beginning was that the first time you had played together or had you had chances some different ways before then because i know you went you did your master's in michigan right?
1: Yeah. yeah. So he was my he's the director where I did my masters. Nice. So I got to know him really well. I did some independent study with him. Oh, um nice. we did an independent study um where he just showed me a bunch of Duke Ellington. Um we played Duke Ellington, studied some Billy Strayhorn and um I played in his big band and he was running a lot of I mean he he does an insane amount of projects in, in Detroit and in Michigan. And so I was in a big band he did that was, um, a tribute to Jerry Allen in Detroit for a couple of years. So yeah, I've gotten to work with him a bunch, but, um, it's always different when they say yes, when, you know, you admire someone and they're your mentor. Yeah, Yeah. When they, when they're willing to do your thing, it's always really cool.
0: Yeah, oh that's such a good one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I hope I I hope I get to have a couple of those experiences cuz I haven't really launched I haven't really had the chance to launch into one of those yet. I haven't I haven't made that happen so I'm still kind of searching for like what it means to like have a mentor, right? Like I still I still kind of need to figure that one out. That's still something that would that would be coming up for me cuz I don't have like an obvious one yet, you know?
1: If you could pick, if you could be mentored by somebody, who would you pick?
0: Well, one thing I did uh, probably now almost 10 years ago was uh, when Corey Weeds would bring in certain kind of New York groups at the time, like kind of the Eric Alexander kind of groups and John Weber would be around. I got bass lesson with John Weber. So that was a big one because I really loved that super straight ahead sound and style because Corey was very influential and he presents that kind of music here in vancouver very very often so there was a lot of that for me to go to like i could go to his club and like he would bring out russell malone like george coleman with that connection that he has with like jody and tilden and those guys and you know i would get to hear some kind of masters at the cellar jazz club and now at frankie's uh so i i was really drawn to like John Weber, and then there's like Neil Miner is another bass player yeah. who's kind of in that. I, I kind of feel is in that kind of style too. But now like, now because I, I work uh, with Dave Douglas at the Greenleaf thing, there's all those bass players that are in that like, and they play bass for Bill Frizzell too, like Thomas Morgan, um, Matt Penman. Yeah. Uh, Linda Mahon-O. Yeah. Yeah, like super, uh, I, I saw Sound Prints like 10 years ago and I I, I saw that. Dave play with Joe Lovano and Lynd Mejano and Lawrence Fields and Joey Baron. That was a big one. So now, now I'm, I'm listening to like bigger ensembles and less super straight ahead stuff than I, than I used to when I was coming up, but it hasn't really come out in my playing yet. That will be in the, in the years to come, I guess you could, you'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to kind of bring that out, but that's at least what I'm, what I'm influenced by right now.
1: Oh, that's incredible. It's in there. It's on its way. <laughs> yeah we all feel like that we all feel like there's something on its way
0: <laughs> yeah and it the question too of like you know there there are relationships that you'll have with local people that could be mentors and then there are people all around the world who are really like those bucket list people that you really want to play with and stuff so you can have you can have both and yeah you go out there and you meet all these people it's like i was saying when we before we started recording i was talking about how i finally got to meet ernesto Cervini in person after corresponding with him for a few years doing rhythm changes get to meet you in person now after hearing about you for several years now i just have this list of people that i want to actually meet face to face right so totally. over the last couple of years we've i think we've all accumulated some of those people right
1: absolutely yeah oh that's great i hope you get to meet them all
0: We'll get back to our conversation with Jocelyn in just a second. But first I'm inviting you to join our subscriber drive for the update subscription at rhythmchanges.ca where I write an exclusive column for the subscribers on Fridays. Be one of the 50 new subscribers that I'm on a mission to welcome into the subscription this year. Go to rhythmchanges.ca slash update and I have a discount for you there. That's rhythmchanges.ca slash update to get a discount on the update. Let's get back to the conversation with Jocelyn. I hope I get to go to uh, New York for the first time too because I've never been. Oh, you got to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, you'll love it. You'll yeah. love it.
0: Well, you actually lived there like for a decent chunk of time. Yeah. It was kind of in the, when you look back on it, it was kind of in the middle of like two chapters almost, right? Yeah. Or, like, I guess the educational one and then the Humber, your studies and then your Humber chapter. I don't know. Like, how does that, how do you look back on that? Yeah. It was in like 2018, 19 or something? Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I didn't expect it to be a short chapter i thought i was you know settling in for the long haul in new york uh, at least a decade my thought was sort of (laughs) like okay i'll spend a decade in new york and then maybe i'll you know want to get a teaching job somewhere or something but the humber position opened up and it was just too um you know it it sometimes things just meander in a way that you don't expect them to and that was the route i ended up taking so but yeah i think back i in a way like i'm still in new york all the time and um you know work there a fair bit have friends that so in a way it's sort of like i'm you know still there i can just go like once once you've established your yourself made some some you know friends and developed a community somewhere i think it's always it, it doesn't go away
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm based in Toronto. That's easy enough to do, right? Once in a while, how often do you find yourself back in Winnipeg then?
1: Mm Hmm. Um. Well, I actually have a house in Winnipeg.
0: Okay, so you got something to 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 return to at any time? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm I and an apartment in Toronto. So, I mean, I would love to have a house in Toronto. That's never going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. So, And I really want, like, I don't know what it is. I just really want, like, a a house (laughs) that I can be like, this is mine. I have a garden. I have, you know, just, like, a place that is, like, truly, truly my home. So, um, yeah, I end up, it depends. I'm on the road. Over the last 15 months, I've been on the road, like, Literally in 2022, I spent over half my days
0: on the road. Right, because it's like either you're you're at Humber, and then in what would be the off season, then you're gonna fill it with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Even during the on season, I'm you know I fly in to to Toronto the night before I teach. I teach, and then I fly out and that to wherever I'm going that weekend to play. So it's like I'm usually taking several flights a week and just like kind of living living that life
0: yeah is that something that you were drawn to or is it just like a kind of mundane reality of what you're doing right now like what does it feel like to be a super road warrior
1: yeah well there is a saying that you know the gig itself is not work um it's getting to the gig that is work (laughs) yeah so travel can be hard um you know it can be like i'm you know really big on exercise and i have a whole thing but since i've been on the road for the last 2 weeks i've made it to the hotel gym twice so yeah. <laughs> some things fall into the back back fall on the back burner um and that's and that's okay there's you know everything kind of meanders and ebbs and flows as you go so there's there's times to be at home and times to be on the road
0: other than not Beating oneself up, what should one do to still try and feel decent and alive and conscious and and feeling in decent shape while you're on the road if you miss some of your kind of exercise targets if you're really going for it like you are where you're going from thing to thing to thing what do you what are the good habits? What do you do?
1: Well, I don't drink.
0: Neither Uh, do I. There you go.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But I I did
0: did when I was in a band. Right. Fair
1: enough. I used to as well. And um, I'm, I don't know, something about, I, you know, got a little bit older and I just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore and, and, and feel good and play well. So. um, That's
0: such a huge one, isn't it? Because it's so readily kind of in your face at, at almost every venue. Yeah.
1: Um, so for me, that has been a big, big change. You don't notice. Well, for me, I I didn't notice how even, you know, just like a couple drinks a day. If you're doing it every day on the road, it, it does for me make a difference. So I've actually been feeling great this tour. I'm just like, wow, I could, I could do this forever. (laughs) Um, so there's that, I think. Hmm. I think just trying to, for me, make sure that I take those periods of time to myself. If I need an hour to just decompress, sit alone in my own dressing room and just kind of be alone, uh, make sure I make that happen because there's so many, you know, you can just be constantly around people and that's great and exciting. But for me, I think, making sure i have those moments of alone time is huge and um yeah i think i think just finding finding those moments to decompress
0: after a show like maybe not like a an earlier theater start but like after like a club time show like if you're done at 11 or midnight are you wired or tired
1: it depends i actually i get pretty affected by adrenaline yeah some people can... i'm wired
0: after a show like that yeah
1: yeah yeah i've actually so far have had on this tour it's been 13 nights so far i've had one proper night of sleep just because <laughs> i'm still adjusting to the whole thing you finish a finish a gig go back to your room and you're just wide awake <laughs> and we went from you know eastern time zone to to here so the three hour difference to um I've been waking up at 5:30 in the morning. I was up at 5:30 mm. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so for me I'm still still figuring that out, but I tend to be yeah, pretty wired after gigs.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel the same way. Yeah, cuz it's like you get into this like activated state where it's like you're activating everything like obviously you're playing so you're using your arms and your hands and your feet and everything but then it's like you activate your face too because you're like you're looking at everybody and you're you're trying to pay attention and then when you're talking to people you're like smiling at people and you're 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 being very expressive and if i then i'm i i need a lot of time to actually cool down after i'm in that particular state you know i can't just even if i haven't got much sleep i can't just like instantly shut her down after that
1: Totally. I was telling someone yesterday, like, after these shows, when I get back to the hotel, my face literally hurts. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> i so much smiling. Well, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's not
1: bad. How can it be bad? But literally, I'm like, oh, wow, my, yeah. my cheeks.
0: <laughs> I totally identify with that. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, from what, and again, I haven't ever had the pleasure of hearing you live in person. But I have watched many videos, including like live broadcasts of you playing in different groups at at different places. And I, I perceive that you have uh, like a deliberate and kind of optimized posture of how you sit and play on stage. Is that true or is it just something I'm making up?
1: No, that's definitely true. I never used to play like that. I used to play you know, with my legs, my leg crossed over my other leg and hunched over and my guitar, you know, sitting on my knee. And um, when I um, started studying with Randy Napoleon, he...
0: In Michigan. In Michigan, yeah.
1: yeah, he. That's how he sits. He sits with impeccable posture. He said, like, it's not only a health thing uh, because if we want to be playing for a long time, we have to, you know, take care, take Care of our our bodies, but uh, it's also a sound thing. If you um, help, there's you know specific techniques to draw proper sound out of the instrument. Um, there's different ways to hold the instrument that that will have the sound resonate out oh, of the sound holes. Oh, for differently. a whole
0: body guitar, yeah, for exactly. sure, yeah, okay, huh?
1: Yeah. So the the back of the guitar, the back piece of wood, if it's being muted. With your body, if it's up against your body, um, the sound bounces off of it differently. So it's just a, a personal thing for people how they hold wow. the guitar.
0: So, does that apply if you're playing like a telly or a strat, like, or is this specifically like a hollow body thing?
1: It's a hollow body thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just because uh, so much of the sound is actually created um, by the, the acoustics, the actual like acoustics of the instrument.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's something to do with that on the upright base that I've never thought of. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know cuz usually you kind of hold it brace it against yourself in a certain way, but I wonder if if there's some kind of secret there that a certain person like Randy, but an upright player would have thought of. I know. I'm sure like classical bass players have thought of this, but you yeah, know, I've never thought of this.
1: Definitely, yeah. yeah. There must be. I'm sure you could go super down the wormhole, <laughs> of how to how to hold a <laughs> classical bass or how to hold a, a yeah. bass.
0: But I mean, yeah. E- even not knowing any of that, like I think you can. See, it comes across when you play that you're doing something in that respect that you've thought about that and that you're you're present. And you, as far as I know, you always sit while you play. Yeah. Yeah. Which I also
1: never used to do. Um, this was a very specific conscious thing that I changed when I started playing an archtop. I didn't play an archtop until I moved to Michigan. That was when I made the switch to, um, that was, that was when I sort of before, so that was 2016. So pre-2016 I was, um, really into straight ahead and, and, but also doing a lot of other genres, doing you know kind of gigging um, around Winnipeg and then moved to Michigan and said like okay I'm going all the way into straight ahead jazz guitar so got an arch top kind of that was when when all that started to develop.
0: Yeah interesting sequence of timelines there that this big break in in how you kind of put together certain technique things it comes when you go to grad school and then you're your recording career really starts in earnest after that after you figured that out so and after you got like the life experience of going to new york and stuff so that's a cool timeline the way that that all kind of lined up yeah. there's
1: like no recording really of there's very little recorded material of like the pre 2016 days so right. um most people don't know like i used to play a 3 it was a 359 which is like a 339 like this kind of like Semi-hollow, Gibson, small, smaller body. Um, yeah, yeah. Most, most people don't know.
0: What else did you play? What other kinds of music did you play in Winnipeg?
1: All sorts. Yeah. Anything I played with folk, folk musicians, um, you know, all, everything, everything under the sun. I was basically working as like a session musician around town.
0: Yeah. People say that um, because of many factors, Winnipeg has like an outsized music scene that has an excellent indie music scene.
1: Yeah, yeah, the roots scene is outstanding. The indie, yeah, totally. The sing- singer songwriter, it's like pretty incredible. The that type of music around there. Yeah.
0: The last place that I flew to and flew home to before COVID was Winnipeg. Oh,
1: <laughs> what brought you there?
0: Festival du Voyageur.
1: I was thinking about Festival today. Yeah. Well, I was. We were on the ferry and I was like, this is so cool. The people just ride the ferry and everybody looks like it's just normal. And I'm like, you're on a ferry. This is amazing. <laughs> and then I was like, what does Winnipeg do that's cool? And Festival is pretty outstanding.
0: Yeah. Because how many ferry rides have you had? You've had to, only two, right? But you went to Victor—you went to Victoria to get to the island, and then you came home from the island, or yeah. came back to Vancouver from the, from Nanaimo, yeah.
1: Yeah, but yeah. when I did my jazz festival tour this summer, we took the ferry to Victoria, yeah. and I just loved it. I couldn't get enough. So I was so excited. We were in Miami last week, like at Miami Beach, swimming in, like at like. You know, it looked exactly like oh yeah the there's like car video game that's in Miami. <laughs> um, what's it called? <laughs> Like that famous video game. Well, Grand anyway. Draft Auto? <laughs> yes, exactly. Grand Theft <laughs> Auto. I've never played it, but my friends yeah. were like, oh, this looks exactly. They're like, the buildings are all still. It's like totally preserved. And I was like, yeah, but wait till we take the ferry to Victoria. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> my dad is, is very cute about that. He lives on Galliano Island, which is halfway between Vancouver and Victoria. And every time we take the ferry, he calls it going on a cruise. Aww, <laughs> I Oh yeah, and my grandparents would say the same that. thing yeah Aww,
1: that's so sweet see they they know what's up they don't take it for granted
0: yeah when you live here people a lot of people do it pretty often like there's commuters who do it you know like there's and and there's the sunshine coast as well i'm not sure how much time you spent up there but like from horseshoe bay which is where you would have come in from nanaimo uh you can go to another place um that is still on the on the main land of the continent but you can access it only really by ferry. And uh, there there is, if you go far enough up there, there's a small jazz festival called the Townsite Jazz Festival that happens in Powell River that's up there. It happens in April, I think. Um, But, you know, there's different ferry routes and there's certain people who commute on the ferry routes, like especially from there. There's people who work full-time in Vancouver and they take like that 30-minute ferry like five days a week or something.
1: (laughs) I guess it beats sitting in your car in traffic five days a week. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, and that would be, like, some of those people would probably be pretty jaded about it, but yeah, I mean, that's something that everybody who lives here, I think, could, could, like, get less jaded about it and enjoy the ferry rides a little bit more.
1: I'm like, we. this is amazing! <laughs> I love it. Yeah,
0: so we, yeah, my former band, we played Festival de Voyager 2020, uh, and it was Ooh. the best weather. Uh, It was very, it was sunny all weekend, and, like, the, the snow sculptures were melting and, <laughs> and stuff like that, so... Yeah, we, we had a great time. And my two, the two kind of band leaders, they, before Rhythm Section joined them, just like Fiddle and Singer-Songwriter, the two of them drove around Manitoba and did like a Home Roots tour. Mm-hmm. And then we all met up and we played Festival de Voyager. And then I flew home and that was the last time I flew anywhere. <laughs>
1: right, right. Oh, that's that's awesome. Festival, yeah. If if I could send, send someone to anything in Winnipeg, it would be that.
0: Yeah, because we don't we don't have that here like we have festival du bois which is i guess the equivalent but it's very small it's in coquitlam it's it's in the suburbs and it's kind of at this little park it's not the massive operation that uh that that your festival is yeah yeah so that's fond fond memories of of winnipeg from that too
1: that's so great (laughs) oh i'm so i love that for you that's awesome
0: yeah uh go back to golden hour uh so you put that out independently after you put out elegant traveler on positone so different experiences we're not obviously going to be here to evaluate which one was better or worse but like what was different when you were doing it independently for golden hour i guess in a few ways because you had the experience of all of the amazing things that came out of Elegant Traveler, right? So you had that behind you and you could work off of that, but like, how was it, it different putting that album out independently?
1: Yeah, um, well, I'm the type of person who just, if I can do it, I, I'm like, oh, well, I would like to learn how to do that. Learn we were how, talking yeah. about oh, Pro too. Tools. Yeah, <laughs> like I will learn how to, I would love to, my next step, Um, not this upcoming record, but I would love to be able to edit my own albums. Like I see no reason why I shouldn't learn pro tools, like why I shouldn't just edit them, you know? So that's kind of my personality. Like if there's something to be learned, I want to learn how to do it. Yeah. So, um, both, both opportunities or both experiences rather were, um, really wonderful. Just, just different with, um, with the first album, I really felt very, you know, guided and supported through it. Um, it was produced by the owner of Positone, so was more of like a collaborative um, effort in terms of producing. And Golden Hour, it was just like if I don't make something happen, it's not happening. Every single, you know, just the 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 responsibility of every single decision falling in your court, everything is, is on me. So I, you know, had to learn how to get a digital license, just like, how do you print CDs? Just every little thing. Um, I, I hadn't necessarily, I mean, I think it's hard to know everything that's involved in self-releasing an album until you do it
0: do it yeah because like you said you didn't you didn't put together a a recording previously in in your career other than elegant traveler where you were you had a big partner yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. so this one I was just like ah, I want to try <laughs>
0: yeah so I, we are kindred spirits on the sense of if there's something to be learned how to do you want to learn how to do it but what I'm not is I'm not a perfectionist like i'm not good at really being meticulous and digging into stuff i always just kind of want to get stuff done Ah. and so i'm too quick and it's best if i work with people who have more attention to detail so which kind are you are you more oriented towards meticulousness or are you more about getting things done efficiently
1: Ooh, i think i'm actually if you can it's a spectrum you can
0: be in the middle yeah that's that's cool yeah
1: yeah i think it it um Sort of depends, and maybe sometimes I allocate time in in not you know ways that don't necessarily represent my values, like I can like spend forever just like should this be especially with visual visual stuff, I love just like I don't know, should this be two centimeters this way or the you know <laughs> um, but um, I think, yeah, I'm probably probably in the middle so maybe. wait
0: on the two centimeters this way or that way thing which person are you are you the one who's like oh we need to get this right or are you the, are you like oh i don't care
1: i'm the oh, we need to get this right okay
0: so we're opposites <laughs> no, on this okay. <laughs> i need somebody who will do that <laughs> when i do stuff I, I try to identify who the person is who's right. on my team who's like that because it's just not it's just not in my personality i'm too quick yeah so
1: i can be like that with um paperwork sometimes yeah Well oh, that's like, so
0: funny because i'm meticulous with, <laughs> with numbers and paperwork yeah okay we're opposites yeah. in this way <laughs> yeah yeah because i i mean there's like a label coordinator that's like the whole job that's why i like the job is because it kind of plays to i don't know i just am predisposed to that the last non-music day gig I had was like as an office manager for a lumber company Mm. so it's like I don't know I am meticulous with the numbers but on artistic stuff I'm so not meticulous like I just gloss over everything and I just want to get stuff done it's so weird
1: fascinating (laughs) that's so fascinating yeah we're direct opposites yeah (laughs) with paperwork I'm like I could you know do I could whatever it is or I could just click the button that says yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then like, what about tour booking? Like you've done different, you've you've been, we were talking about this fascinating tour that you got to do as a guitarist like at this time last year. And then there was like your golden hour tour and then you played, you supported Elegant Traveler and now you're doing this international guitar night thing. But when, when it's your turn, when you're touring as a band leader, is, is that an independent effort too? Is that where you've learned how to do a lot of this stuff and you are driving the bus and getting your tour booking done? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I've been... um really lucky in that a lot of things have sort of come to me um even now festivals are reaching out and i've i'm really kind of lucky in that sense that that things have sort of been coming my way um but i'm also definitely like down for i reach out to out currently not just because i'm actually like already very booked this year but um i go through periods of of booking where for there will be a period of time where i'm reaching out and doing doing emails and booking getting getting bookings it's
0: probably like the fall a lot of the time right
1: yeah often stuff happens in the fall like people generally i'm booking into 2024 now sort of like i which was surprising to me i didn't know because i you know when you start you book a gig at your local bar for the like next week or whatever like yeah. the, and to be clear
0: you can still do that it's just you're not doing those kind of gigs yeah, yeah
1: yeah like i would never have 10 years ago i was not booking beyond a few weeks into the future and now it's i'm already booked halfway into 2024 i'm already booked for yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
0: cuz you know that you're going to be at Humber and so you have to make it work with that too, yep. right? So a lot of the options are eliminated. So even if you look really far ahead, there are going to be clear times that are going to be the right times and so you kind of have to, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And just the the way the kind of things that the types of venues I'm playing at now, it's often yeah, they're they're booking their seasons for the whole year sort of a year right, in advance. Yeah. So it's often quite, quite Yeah, an and those
0: seasons are usually like sc- also around the academic year. Like they're often like September to May kind of things. So yeah, you would you would be looking into a year from now-ish on on a lot of those things, yeah. Huh. Yeah. And then without like spilling all the details on that, like when when somebody does the whole the real Canadian Jazz Fest tour like you did where you you are coordinated through all the festivals and, and you do that tour w- roughly like just just out of curiosity like when i kind of know when that starts coming together for them but like when do you have to get your act together when does the process start for an artist who it tends to do that at what point in the previous year mm-hmm. if you're if you want to do that
1: Yep, uh, August. Yeah. So you, uh, well, the way it worked out for me, and again, this was a tour that was delayed. I was supposed to do the Elegant Traveler tour in
0: 2020. Um, Oh, and it just became the Golden Hour? Oh, that's 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 great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It just morphed into the, and I was really pushing, like I flew up Rodney and Quincy to do Golden Hour in November 2021 because I was like, I need to have a new record.
0: (laughs) Cause yeah, just you had another new album for when you were Oh, That's so great.
1: <laughs> that was by design. Um nice. Yeah. So it's August. You reach out to the festivals, and there's you know some uh, Canada Council support that you can get. So you have to kind of be organized in advance because Canada Council can be a six month wait, even or four four months more like, to hear a response. And based on the funding. From arts organizations, certain festivals may or may not be able to support. Yeah. uh, So,
0: do you have to have applied? Do you have to have filed your kind of council stuff before August? Then, before you start initiating those conversations, or or after, or simultaneously, maybe I don't know.
1: Yeah, that happens early September. So, festivals who are interested in booking you will write you a letter of support, and then you'll apply for the funding.
0: Gotcha, okay, so August, so August, obviously because then the festivals are done they've 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 had their their programming was in June, July, cool down period in July, debriefing in July, August ready, open season again, right? So in August, you reach out to as many as you intend to do, uh, and you you try and get those letters support and then you immediately use those in your grant application that's coming up, and it's due in September. and then you find out at the same time as probably as soon as you find out that's when the venues are going to move and try and get that done.
1: Exactly. So like the current Canada Council, I'm I didn't apply uh this year, but I know tons of folks who did and they actually haven't heard back. They should be hearing back. This any, is from any people
0: day. who applied in September 2022. Mm-hmm. They would be hearing back. This is maybe kind of late, but they would be hearing back now. Yeah, and yeah. so
1: I think once Canada Council comes out, then yeah, the festivals start to make their moves.
0: Nice. Yeah. One last thing I want to see whatever you're willing to to throw out about this. I know this from another podcast episode that you went on before that your your next project after Golden Hour is a clarinet and two guitars and rhythm section project with Virginia McDonald with Randy who was your professor at Michigan and with Rodney and with Quincy Davis which is the same as on Golden Hour. You performed with them and you recorded that already. So where are you at with that? What's going on?
1: Yeah, so um I am... We recorded it in April. Everybody came to Toronto. Um, so we did the record there. And I am currently just reviewing the mixes. They're almost done. I'm getting a few more people just to listen to them to to give their, their input. And then so we're almost on to the mastering stage. I'm working with the designer already. I have the name. I have the whole everything ready to go. We're putting together the artwork right now. And um, the whole the whole concept um epks etc and i am aiming to announce the album in maybe may and i'm probably looking at a october release i really want to kind of experiment with a longer because as I mentioned, I was rushing. I didn't rush, but my goal with Golden Hour was to have it out by the tour. <laughs> that was like have to have it out by the tour. Um, and with this one I'm like, oh, how cool would it be to take six months to sort of experiment as I'm you know, something I'm interested in learning about is like a, a longer release campaign.
0: And you're putting it out independently at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, it is it is the time of the afternoon, roughly around three thirty to four thirty PM in the Western hemisphere. So Jocelyn, what time how would you describe that period, that sixty minute period of time in general?
1: Um <laughs> uh time for sound check?
0: <laughs>
1: is that what you're getting at? Um or how Don't do you, make oh, me say this it. is golden hour.
0: Yes, oh. thank you.
1: <laughs> I'm on tour, so I'm like, Well, four PM is sound check. How could it be anything else?
0: Well, <laughs> oh, the the bottom line is we gotta go, but I wanna thank you for being so generous with your time <laughs> oh. and uh, have a great show in my home city here of New Westminster.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Will. Thanks for having me on the on the show.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you enjoyed it, go check out another podcast, Pacific Sound Radio. It's a show that I co-produce with my friend, James Olson. In our newest episode available now, James interviews singer-songwriter Kane Price, who kind of sounds like Bonnie Vera and uses a lot of fun effects on his voice. Go check out their conversation and support another local music podcast. Find Pacific Sound Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time.